May it please the court, counsel. This case is a case of statutory interpretation regarding the meaning of what is a prior or any combination of two or more uh, previous qualified domestic assault related convictions. Uh, Mr. DeFat was charged in Cass County uh, with charges of assault in the third degree, or sorry, um, uh, I'm, I'm conflating the two of the prior convictions and his, pre, his current ones. Uh, com, uh, charged with uh, threats of violence, uh, fleeing a police officer in a motor vehicle, domestic assault fear, two or more qualified, and domestic assault attempt to cause harm, two or more qualified uh, priors. <clears throat> uh, those latter two were charged as felonies based upon Mr. DeFat's previous convictions for an assault in the third degree and a violation of a no contact order both of which qualify as prior control, uh, qualified uh, domestic-related assaults uh, under Minnesota Statute 609.02. Um, the case was, uh, the charges of felony were dismissed by the district court uh, and the state appealed to the Court of Appeals, uh, wherein the Court of Appeals reversed the district court and remanded the matter to the state court, uh, reinstating the felony charges. Uh, Mr. DeFat uh, petitioned this court for a rehearing on that, on that ruling and uh, submitted to the court the issue of uh, the plain language of the statute does not support the two previous elements of the domestic assault charges. The basis of that is the language of 609.2242 subdivision 4, which states, Whoever violates the provisions of this section or section 609.224 subdivision one within 10 years of the first of any combination of two or more previous qualified domestic violence related offense convictions or adjudications is guilty of a felony. The appellant's position is that uh, the previous convictions which occurred at the same time and on the same individual do not satisfy that statutory element. Counsel, what, what happened to the argument about 609.035? That's what Judge Osted relied on, and suddenly that argument is, is gone. What happened to it? It's not gone, Your Honor. It's, it's a part of what I believe is a harmonious interpretation of the statute according to the plain language. So the, the argument is we can take into account 609.035, um, which prohibits multiple punishments for the same course of conduct in interpreting 609.2242? I think that uh, 609.035 uh, raises the uh, specter of the prejudice that suffered when the court does not apply the plain language of 609.2242, which is uh, that a individual who has not satisfied that timing requirement for the first of, the, any, first of any two uh, combination of qualified convictions uh, suffers an increased uh, charge, suffers increased penalty, uh, which is prejudicial because yeah, of the but I'm, I'm confused here. You're contending I believe that 609.2242 subdivision 4 is uh, Should be interpreted in favor of your client based on the plain language, right? Correct your honor Okay, so if you've got a plain language argument, then what gives us the authority to take into account 609.035 that would be the doctrine of in peri materia which we would rely on only if the, stat the underlying statute is ambiguous. Correct, Your Honor, and that was submitted as the alternative argument okay. after the, the um, uh, first plain language argument. And but you're, just to be clear, you're not arguing that what 
that an enhanced sentence here violates 609.035? I, I believe that it does if, uh, if the court does not follow the plain language or an alternatively uh, does not uh, interpret the statute in pari materi uh, with the other interpretations of what does. Uh, but are you arguing that here? Uh, well, it's not one of the particular arguments. It was one of the lower court arguments, but what's being argued here today, Your Honor, is uh, just the plain language and the uh, ambiguous language, and it's part of the ambiguous language. Um, and, and that would be raised under State versus Huston, uh, where essentially it says that um, the sequencing requirement, uh, by having that sequencing requirement in the convictions of the first conviction. So here we're looking at the, within 10 years, a, a time period, we have the first of two convictions. And what that uh, plainly states is that there is in sequence a first conviction and then in sequence a second conviction. So there is, there is a timing between the two convictions which the plain language encompasses. Um, Huston, uh, which was discussing the prior convictions in career offender uh, statute 609.1095, uh, uh, looked at uh, looked at the plain language there, and in, in the language for 6091095, it does have that particular language of the conviction sentencing, conviction sentencing. Um, but what it, it uh, identified is that that sequencing requirement uh, it excludes the prejudice uh, for multiple convictions resulting from a short crime spree, and that's that's the language straight from that case. Essentially, what we're dealing with here is that their very specific problem. And uh, the plain language of 609.2242 states, as I just stated, is that it's, it's a timing matter. Um, convictions is uh, defined as adjudication, uh, conviction by court, conviction by a, a jury. And in this case, we're dealing with a conviction, these prior convictions from the single case uh, by a jury. So there's no, no challenge that they're not convictions. The issue arises is that uh, that of timing, that there is not one and relative I, to the and second. I, I understand that. I just want to just make clear about what you're arguing. So you're not arguing that no matter what the statute that your plain language argument is based on, 2422, however we come out on that, you're not arguing that 609.035 preempts that in some, some way and, and doesn't allow this? Well, that, that was my lower court argument, which did not prevail and ultimately has only been raised here as, as a support for the ambiguity argument, but is not a, a, a singular issue before the court, no. Um, Counsel, is your statutory argument, um, is it because... I mean, are you arguing that you win under the statute because the, the, the crimes at issue here happened as part of the same behavioral incident, or is it the fact that the district court entered the convictions on the same day, or is it both? I mean, what is the problem here? I, I'd submit that it's, well, it, frankly, both, Your Honor. Um, in the first, we don't have any separate uh, convictions. They happen simultaneously, same same uh, individual uh, as a victim, same individual as a perpetrator, uh, one trial, uh, one set of facts submitted to the jury who then made that decision. Um, as regards to 609.035, which is, I, I guess that's something maybe I should have fleshed out a little bit better for this uh, court, and I apologize for that, um, that it is subsumed, the, the sentence for the second is subsumed under the sentence for the first. So there, there is an issue there that arises in this, this matter as well, that there's not a separate, separate, there's not a separate conviction sentence, conviction sentence, which is what 2242 subdivision uh, 4 contemplates when it says the first of 
the first of any combination of two or more previous uh, convictions. And I would submit to the court uh, 609.02, I think it's subdivision 15, which uh, defines a previous conviction. I, I think it supports uh, this interpretation as well, ultimately, that there is, uh, uh, where it defines a previous conviction uh, is a conviction which, again, was uh, entered, but previous to the uh, charge that is uh, being, um, uh, that is pending. Um, so our, our position, Your Honor, the appellant's position, is that uh, the language is plain. Uh, it is clear that there is a timing requirement that there be a first conviction and then a second conviction prior to the, uh, uh, the present charges. Um, I would also submit to the court that this is uh, consistent with the legislature's approach on punishing recidivism uh, more onerously, that there are increased penalties uh, for having these separate prior uh, convictions that there are increased uh, sentences uh, as well as the uh, increased charges themselves. Um, in the event that the court uh, were to determine that the uh, statute is ambiguous, uh, then I would submit to the court uh, again that it is consistent uh, with the reading of the statute uh, that it be applied in the manner that is uh, argued by appellant. But before you get into ambiguity, let me take you back to your plain language argument. And you referred to 609.02, subdivision 5, the definition of conviction? Correct, Your Honor. And it says conviction means any of the following, accepted and recorded by the court, a verdict of guilty by a jury, or a finding of guilty by the court. Is your position here that there's one conviction or two convictions? Uh, my position is that there are two convictions. You just can't tell which one's first? Uh, that would be first, that we can't tell which one is first, but number two, that the language of the statute uh, contemplates a first conviction prior to a second conviction. If we're looking at what that means, that would mean that there's a whole conviction and... and uh, when you say contemplates a first conviction before a second conviction, what period of time is required and does the statute give us any indication or does our case law give us any indication as to what period of time must go by. Why can't it just be one after the other? I think it can be one after the other, Your Honor. I don't think that the statute contemplates a period of time. I think what the statute contemplates is that there's a separateness about the two convictions. Um, and, and ultimately, I don't think that that's clear, that's not defined. Is separate counts enough? Uh, I, I don't believe separate counts are enough, Your Honor. Why, why not? Uh, well, ultimately, because under the, the language of the statute, there's a, a relativity factor from the first to the second. Um, and I understand that this is ultimately what the court is driving at. What's the timing requirement? And, and far be it for me to insert a timing requirement into something that's been discussed by the legislature and ultimately uh, passed by the government. So let me give you a hypothetical. Let's say it's a trial to the court, and it's now time for the trial judge to announce um, her, her findings and conclusions. And she says, I, I convict you on count one. And now I'm going to discuss count two, and I convict you on count two. Did count one come first under, under the statute? I would submit, Your Honor, that they, they occurred simultaneously because... Uh, Even though she announced them separately? Uh, correct, Your Honor. There's not a, there's not a separate... Uh, I guess this is where we get into the, the lack of clarity, which is where this court has previously ruled regarding the sequencing requirements of those convictions. So, counsel, let me, just so I'm clear, so if the court came out and announced conviction on count number one, got off the bench, left, went back, came back after lunch, came back out and said, now I'm also addressing count two and I'm entering a conviction, is that 
different than the hypothetical given by Justice Lillahad? I, I would submit, Your Honor, that there, there is no difference. Ultimately, we run into the same situation. These are, these are both cases that are pending at the same time, and ultimately, I, I don't think any type of any type of uh, conduct or otherwise could necessarily separate them. I mean, they, so they is are, the rule that it's the same hearing? No, if I, they happen at the same hearing, I, even if it's continued, then that's then that's then then they can't be used. But if there's two separate hearings, they could. No, Your Honor, I, I, it's not any separateness in announcement, any separateness in walking out of the room, any separateness in hearing. Uh, it's it's ultimately, I, I believe, the problem that's contemplated. Uh, by the court in what happens with a, a, pri a previous conviction relative to a second previous conviction that we get into with uh, the sentencing issue that we've talked about in 609.035, or sorry, 609.035, uh, the uh, sequential issue that's identified by uh, the court in Huston um, that is, uh, uh, that is a, one of, an issue of prejudice uh, that the individual suffers. I, I don't think that any... So, counsel, what... I'm confused now. So what's the rule you want us to announce then? Well, the rule I'm seeking from this court is to apply the plain language of statute first, which is that there is a, the first of any combination of two previous qualified convictions means that there is a sequential requirement that's part of that statute and that it plainly states that there is a, a separate... Uh, if there are several charges in one case for which there are numerous convictions, that does not satisfy the first of two convictions because and, that and is... And what would? What would in your mind? The, the, the what would have to happen? The sequential requirement would be, I think, would have to happen in order to satisfy that. And how are you order. defining sequential? I would define sequential as the legislature has defined it in 609.1095, 609.3455, is, which is conviction sentence, conviction sentence. Uh, because that's so you're going back to a behavioral incident argument, basically. They have to be two separate behavioral incidents. It, it would seem to me that it's, they're tied in in that matter, yes, Your Honor. Um, Counsel, yeah. does it matter that essentially, I mean, your client already got the benefit of 609.035 when the district court sentenced on both counts, sentenced on the assault and sentenced on the, mister, uh, the misdemeanor uh, domestic assault. But... I'm sorry, convicted on those two, but only sentenced on the one. So you got the benefit. Your client got the benefit of 609.035. Does that already, does that make any difference in the analysis? I don't think it does, Your Honor. I think that we're, we're left with the same language issue from 609.2242, which is uh, the first of any combination of two or more uh, previous qualified domestic-related violence convictions, which is uh, that there's the first conviction and that there is then the second conviction and what I contemplate that that conviction means uh, is the, sequen the sequencing uh, that is articulated by the legislature and by this court. Um, I, I don't think there's any clearer way to delineate the two um, and I think that it is when that is applied it is harmonious, it is a harmonious interpretation. Firstly, it, uh, it gives full service to the all of the different uh, subdivisions of 609.2242, which is that uh, as an individual uh, commits additional crime after the first, that there is a gross misdemeanor. 
penalty for the second. It's increased in the charge. It's increased in the penalty. Uh, if there is a second uh, conviction thereafter, uh, after that uh, subsequent, then that it again increases it to a felony. It increases the penalty of the sentence as well. I, I think that if we, or if the court uh, doesn't apply that temporal differentiation between these convictions, ultimately you do you do run into those issues where. Um, and as the court stated, well, there was a benefit to the 609035 with the first, uh, with the first conviction that the, basically uh, the assault or the uh, offense was uh, rolled into one, and he wasn't punished for the both. But the fact of the matter is, is that now we're sitting with a, a new set of circumstances, the second set of circumstances from the first set of circumstances, and he's having uh, the effect of both uh, convictions. Uh, applied number one against the enhancement of the charge as well as potentially the enhancement for the sentence. I, I speculate on the sentence only because we're not there yet, but ostensibly that would increase its penalty as well. Um, so when it uh, comes down to uh, applying that statute, Your Honor, the harmonious interpretation of it is to, imp imp to acknowledge, uh, to identify, and to apply that sequencing uh, conviction that the court has, or that the legislature has identified explicitly in other statutes, uh, but also uh, as a, um, uh, a, a, what's the word I'm looking for, a, a shield, uh, I guess, against the prejudice of not applying uh, that sequential in this uh, particular instance. Um, if the court were to uh, determine that the statute is ambiguous, uh, then the uh, appellate's position uh, is that uh, uh, when interpreting that ambiguity, uh, the court uh, ought to read it uh, in pari materi with the other uh, sentencing provisions, um, or the other, sorry, Your Honor, uh, the other uh, previous uh, conviction provisions, uh, and I identified 609 609 Point three four five five. Um, those are uh, statutes which have uh, es essentially the same definition for conviction as this does, uh, that either by judge or jury or adjudication. Um, and they do go into greater uh, definition as to uh, that sequencing of the conviction sentence, conviction sentence. Um, Ultimately, uh, in this situation, uh, it uh, well, firstly, it avoids much of the issue that's raised here, which is the uh, increased penalty as a result of uh, the two uh, occurring at the same time simultaneously. Uh, it avoids the issue related to the, the many questions about uh, timing. Uh, if it was first one was convicted and, and uh, announced, and then the second was convicted and announced, or if they left the room, or if it was in a, a different hearing, uh, these things are eliminated. This confusion is eliminated by applying uh, the same sequencing conviction uh, as the court and as the legislature has done in other areas. Um, Thirdly, it also avoids, again, that uh, prejudice that arises as a result of, uh, as a result of those uh, uh, events occurring or those convictions occurring at the simultaneous time and then increasing the penalty uh, down the line. So, Counsel, as a practical matter, the rule of law that you're proposing for us, wouldn't that essentially change the word convictions to sentences? No, Your Honor, I, I do not believe it would. I believe that it would clarify um, in the ambiguity how the, how the lower court is to apply that particular. But if we adopted your rule of law as a practical matter, you would never have two or more previous, you'd always have two or more previous sentences, wouldn't you? You would. Okay. 
Yes, um, and you'd also have the, the two or more previous convictions as well, Your Honor, which ultimately eliminates any of that lack of clarity uh, that we're currently working our way through. One moment, Your Honor, please. Um, barring any further questions from the court, uh, I'll cede the remainder of my time. Thank you, counsel. Thank you. You have 10 minutes for rebuttal. Mr. Lindstrom. May it please the court. Uh, my name is Ben Lindstrom. I'm the Cass County attorney. I'm here on behalf of the respondent. Um, today, I'm asking this court to hold that the state can use two prior convictions from the same incident to enhance a domestic assault charge to the felony level. Uh, we're here to talk about uh, Minnesota Statute 609-2242 and uh, its language. It says, in pertinent part, whoever violates the provisions of this section within 10 years of the first of any combination of two or more previous qualified convictions is guilty of a felony. This language is plain. It's not ambiguous. Uh, canons of construction, uh, Minnesota Statute 645-16 would say, look at the language. It says what it says. Um, this language about within 10 years of the first, uh, this is a phrase that the legislature has used to define how far the state can look back when we're going to enhance a charge. So it's basically drawn a line in the sand. If the conviction's on this side of that, then we can use it to enhance. Uh, Pellet has suggested that uh, use of the word first somehow presupposes that one must come uh, before another. Uh, I would submit to this court that that's uh, not a reasonable interpretation. It's certainly an interpretation, but uh, in order for there to be ambiguity, there has to be two reasonable interpretations. And with respect to that first language, uh, there were some questions that uh, I think the court uh, addressed to counsel uh, that suggested there was a first in this case. We might not know when it was. It might have only been a few seconds after the, the one pronouncement. Uh, but technically, if you look at the definition of conviction under uh, 609.02, uh, subdivision 5, it does say a judgment that's accepted and recorded by the court, and that is a process. And uh, much like the case today, heard two cases. You didn't hear them at the same time. You heard the first one and then went to the second one. Um, second reason. So just, uh, just to be clear in your argument, you could have four convictions for a single behavioral incident, and it would enhance it equivalent to four prior convictions or ten. Sure, if there was a, an incident where there were enough charges and, and theories of liability um, where uh, the convictions were entered, yes. Uh, for the most part, though, um, we're only looking back for two uh, in, a, in a felony domestic assault case. Um, so this kind of maxes out that. Uh, but in the context of, like, DWI, where you can have four, which gets you to a felony, yeah, that might be the case. Um, the other thing I think is important to note about the definition of, of first in the real world, uh, there can be multiple firsts. It's called a tie. It happens frequently. And uh, usually, like in the Olympics when it happens, they hand out two gold medals, not two silvers. Um, furthermore, um, the whole statute has to be read in context. Uh, it's within 10 years of the first of any combination of two or more prior convictions. Any combination is absolute language. It doesn't have any exceptions, limitations, exclusions noted in it. Uh, it just is absolute, any conviction, any combination of convictions. 
Um, when the legislature does want to have limits, the legislature imposes them. Uh, in the briefs, I noted a number of examples where uh, the legislature had done that. In the context of driving while impaired, legislature says, hey, we recognize somebody might be convicted of more than one theory of liability for DWI, but we don't want you to use those uh, from a single behavioral incident to enhance in the future. And in that context, that can make sense because uh, for the most part in a DWI, you might have an under the influence theory of liability and a .08 or more theory of liability, which is really to say, if you're .08 or more, you're per se under the influence. So that's pretty much the same thing. So the legislature doesn't want a double enhancement there. Uh, whereas in a case like this, we have not only assaultive behavior, but we have a violation of an order for protection. Um, that is more serious than either one of those alone because you have an individual who um, sought out the court's help, they got a protective order, and then you have a defendant who knowingly violated the terms of that order and then also intentionally assaulted uh, the, uh, the victim. Uh, so there's an underlying policy for why the legislature might want to allow any combination of convictions. Although, um, with respect to plain language, the court doesn't really need to get there, but there is a reason if, if you do get there. Um, there was a little bit of talk about Minnesota Statute uh, 609.035 and its applicability to a situation like this. I would submit that uh, that's really a statute that's not applicable. Uh, that statute deals with punishment. We're dealing with uh, enhancement. And uh, the uh, punishment aspect uh, in our current uh, matter, if there is a conviction on a felony domestic assault, the individual would be punished for the current behavior. He wouldn't be punished for uh, the prior behavior. But that, that issue is not even really before the court, right? The 035 issue? I, I would say it shouldn't be uh, because the language is, is, uh, is unambiguous. It's plain on its face. Um, if it were before the court, um, I would be suggesting that 609035 um, shouldn't be read to limit the absolute language of the domestic assault statute uh, simply because if punishment and enhancement are deemed the same thing, you'd never be able to have an enhanced offense. Uh, the court's double jeopardy jurisprudence would come into play and in this society we only punish people for an act once, we don't repunish them. Um, it would basically throw all the sentencing guidelines away too because those take into account past behavior when coming up with a punishment number. Um, but really, we're, we're looking at punishing the current uh, behavior. Counsel, the um, uh, appellant's argument regarding what constitutes a first conviction, um, I think in fairness, was not uh, litigated below. Um, I notice, though, in your brief, you don't use the word forfeit or suggest that the court can't consider it. Do you want the court to decide that argument? What constitutes a first conviction? Um, well, his argument is the two convictions occurred simultaneously or virtually simultaneously. Therefore, under the statute, there can't be a first conviction. Do you want the court to decide that argument? Um, well, I think the court should decide that there were two convictions. Um, there's a certificate of conviction in the record that shows the uh, defendant was convicted of both prior incidents. And, uh, so Everybody I, seems to agree on that, yeah. that there are two convictions. But his argument is you can't tell which is the first, and your argument is um, ties mean that they were both first. Do you want us to decide that argument? I think the court uh, would have to. You're going to okay. have to tell one of us we're wrong. <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah. 
Um, but ultimately, I'm asking the court to, to view the plain language, find it's not ambiguous, read the whole thing in context, and uh, find that the state can use uh, two convictions from the same incident to enhance a domestic assault charge to the felony level. Um, I don't have any additional comments unless there's some questions. I think we're good. Thank you, counsel. Okay, thank you. Mr. Welsh, you have 10 minutes for rebuttal. The only, the only issue I'd raise, Your Honor, is that um, the respondent has uh, cited uh, the language of any combination uh, and uh, given a comparison of the DWI example uh, for uh, different theories of um, liability. And it's, it's not quite a, an apples-to-apples comparison. Ultimately, when you're dealing with a DWI, you're dealing with any type of operating or any behavior operating a motor vehicle while under the influence or uh, over a certain level that the legislature has deemed to be essentially under the influence. Here, we're dealing with any combination of a litany of different crimes uh, that have been defined as qualified domestic violence-related crimes. So uh, it's, it's not quite an apples-to-apples -apples, uh, comparison. And when you're, when you're looking at uh, how the court is to determine um, where that first of any two or more occurs, um, we're, we're still left with that, that difficulty determining, all right, where, where is that? I, I submit that under the plain language, uh, that it's clear that it, you have to have a, a sequential uh, operation of that conviction sentence. Counsel, what do you think of um, the county attorney's argument that when you've got a race of some sort, uh, whether a foot race or a horse race or whatever, and the participants tie, then they both get gold medals. So they're, if there are two convictions entered at the same time, they're both first. It really doesn't make any difference. Your argument, I think, is they're both second. Um, what do you think of his argument? Well, I, I would ultimately, uh, I think, Your Honor, uh, submit uh, to the court the consideration that we're, we're dealing with uh, um, what is expected, uh, what can be uh, uh, expected by a citizen and, can, and uh, ordering their conduct in society, and ultimately that uh, when essentially a due process, uh, that uh, there is no first-first. Uh, we're dealing with uh, tie goes to the the accused in this situation, the tie goes to the uh, the defendant. That's the rule of lenity. Um, so if I'm if I'm comparing it in a, a kind of a, in a sorry, just not, I'm getting distracted here on the, the the numbers here change on me. If I'm comparing it into a, uh, a I'm sorry, I'm, the words uh, I lose the words right now. I, I think as an example, it would not go tied to the the prosecution. It would, the tie would go to the the defendant. That's and ultimately there are canons of construction that specifically identify. Uh, the benefit is to go to the defendant in times of uh, ambiguity or in times of um, in certain uncertainty under the law. Uh, in this particular instance, there is some uncertainty under the law, and I would submit that the tie should go to the defendant in this case. Um, barring any other questions, I thank the court. Thank you, counsel. Thanks to both counsel for the help that you provided to the court in this case. This matter is submitted. We'll issue an opinion in due course. We're in recess.